things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with generation z with all the information that you'll need it's the jack and ollie show Hello and welcome to the Early Career Podcast with myself, Ollie Sidwell. And me, Jack Denton. So today we are going to be talking about 10,000 black interns. So a wonderful new project started and we have with us uh, the Programme Director, Esther Adejimi Azokwe. So Esther, how are you doing? I'm great, I'm great. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. Very well indeed. So you previously interned at the House of Commons, didn't you, before becoming Programme Director, uh, which you started in January, I believe. So tell us a bit more about yourself and what is 10,000 Black Interns? Yeah, so starting with myself, I am East London born and bred, um, studied in East London and um, was there all the way from you know primary school through to my A-levels at the same school. Um, ended up studying theology and religion at university, graduated in 2017, um, spent a couple of years in investment banking, left the investment banking industry in January of 2020 and kind of pursued entrepreneurial endeavors and other things like that. And an, an opportunity came up to join the 10,000 Black Interns team and I absolutely pounced at it. And to go into a bit more detail in terms of what we do here at 10,000 Black Interns. So I'm here as program director. We have a fantastic team of um, co-founders and um, so we do what we say on the tin essentially we're called 10,000 black interns and the idea is that across every industry every sector across the UK we deliver 10,000 internships aggregated over the course of five years so we have an internship target of 2,000 internships a year starting in 2022 but we actually started off as 100 black interns um, and I know there's a massive difference between 100 and 10,000, <laughs> and I'll go into kind of how we morphed from one to the other. Um, so as I said, we have a great team of co-founders, and in the summer of last year, they wanted to, or one of them in particular, wanted to host a dinner for black investment managers in the city of London. And he quickly realized that out of maybe two to 3,000 portfolio managers in the city, that 10 to 15, if you're lucky, were black. And whilst it's not that surprising, it's still quite shocking to hear it audibly, you know, in terms mm. of how deep that underrepresentation is. And this obviously coincided with the, with the terrible murder of George Floyd. And um, the time was right to do something tangible about it, you know, enough discussions, enough roundtables, let's actually do something that can pay positive dividends in industry in the years to come. And the focus was investment management, because of course, that that is where um, everything began with regards to the idea. So the founders came together, they joined their contact lists together, and they basically said, let's call up investment managers and get 100 of them to sign up to this program called 100 Black Interns. And the idea is that they deliver one internship to a black student in the summer of 2021 in a front-facing, revenue-generating investment management team for a minimum of six weeks, paying an absolute minimum of the local living wage, which in London, I think is like £10.80 something an hour. That was like the minimum prerequisite. So they did that and very quickly, and I mean, within days, they had more than 100 um, firms saying that they wanted to be involved. So they doubled the intake, onboarded 200 firms, put about 40 to 50 on a waiting list. 
and then decided to open up applications to students. Um, so they did that. And from the student perspective, the eligibility criteria is that you're either a recent graduate, um, you're on a post A-level gap year intending to study at university or in any year group across university studies. So that could be a first year student. It could be a seventh year student on architecture, master's, PhD, you name it. Right. So they opened that up expecting to get two to 300 applications and it ended up getting close to two and a half thousand applications from students. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, things, things grew pretty quickly. And I think. And how, that can, was, you, how can we started in, in that area in, in, um, in investment um, portfolio management, it's quite a, it's quite a niche. Like how come that yeah. was the starting point? Was that because that was the background of the, of the co-founders or, or it was just an area that you thought really needed the, to, the most attention? Yeah, I think two reasons. One, of course, because, you know, three out of the four of our co-founders um, have spent their career in investment management. So mm -hmm. it was a natural place for them to start. Yeah. And on top of that, if we look at, you know, sectors at large in, in, in the UK, right, investment management notably is one of them with quite bad representation figures mm -hmm. with regards to the participation of black, of black people. Um, GAIN is a, an organization, Girls Are Investors. They're an organization that we work quite closely with and they ran some research in investment Girls management. Are Investors. Girls Are Investors or mm -hmm. GAIN. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they ran some research in investment management and came out with the fact that in terms of the usual investment management intake, about 20% of them tend to be female. Um, and yeah, we, we don't know what that, what that translates to in terms of the ethnicity breakdown, but you know, investment management in general um, is seen as one of those sectors that you know, has a long way to go. So it was a natural place to start. Um, so you kind of proved the concept last summer. So you, you um, just to see if I could summarize it, so you um, decided to run the program, you set it up. Originally, the goal was 100 um, interns. It yeah. went way better than you expected in terms of uptake from, from both employers and also students. So you then thought, oh, maybe we've we've kind of got something here. Maybe we could expand this. Should we be more ambitious? And then yeah. that's where I guess the idea of ten thousand black interns came from. Absolutely, absolutely correct. And I think even rewinding a little bit, the reason why we had other sectors kind of looking over the garden fence, quote unquote, saying this is we want this too. Our sector needs this too. Mm. It's because when you look at investment management and kind of the results of the program. Yes, so we had you know close to two and a half thousand applications from students, and out of that you know, out of that applicant pool, um, fifty nine percent of them came from non Russell Group institutions, and we know that investment management in general um, is an industry that's quite elite in its hiring practices. They have target institutions that they look to hire from, and that fifty nine percent translated into forty percent of the offer rate, which again was, was a big win. I mean, I don't know any investment management firms that have 40% of their workforce coming from non-Russell Group institutions in, in this day and age. So it's sort and of cross-sected across two underrepresented groups, people of black heritage and also people with social mobility indicators, people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, exactly. it was kind of two, two particular, two underrepresented groups that are both underrepresented specifically in that area and actually in many different industries, in fact, of course. Exactly, exactly. And even looking at the gender disparity, so I've already given the right, figures. Right, gender, because three, yeah. Yeah, and, and the figures that GAIN came out with, you know, 20% of the usual intake being people who identify as female. Yeah. We have 41% of our applications come from people who identify as female, and it translated 
into 45% of the offer rate. So whilst we'd love that to be 50 or more, it's more than double what we're normally seeing in investment management. So quite Um, a challenge you set yourselves because you really... (laughs) It's one thing organising 100, another thing organising... Um, uh, ten thousand. How's that transition been? What does that What's that look like? In- yeah, so the transition has been really rapid, um, and I think in a similar vein to what happened with one hundred back interns, just in terms of things really exceeding expectation at every conjecture. Mm-hmm. I think we really found the same with ten thousand black interns. So to be clear, one hundred black interns is summer twenty twenty one. So we're prepping our interns as we speak for their internships this summer in investment management. Mm-hmm. And then for 10,000 black interns, of course, we kind of announced that 10,000 black interns was a thing soon after 100 black interns. And then, um, and of course, the difference between the two is that, yes, the number is much higher, but also we're open to all sectors. So we partnered up currently with 23 different sectors across the UK and Ireland. And um, yeah, in terms of, so I've said that we have an aggregate of 2,000 internships every year as the target. We've met and exceeded that target already for next year. So we're kind of rounding up the book building process. And yeah, the transition, whilst it's been rapid, it's been pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not going to say it's been easy because it hasn't. I mean, there's a lot going on in the background and there's a lot of work to do, particularly with the number of stakeholders that we're, we're managing. But I think what I'm trying to say is that the industry, industry in the UK seems ready for something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what you mentioned a few indicators there, Jack. Um, why do you think it's been so pertinent? Because, like you say, it's landed extremely well, certainly in investment management, and now you're starting to see other sectors uh, get involved and uh, show their interest. What is it you think has just really made it um, so pertinent? Like you, you did touch on George Floyd um, last summer as, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's undeniable that there's a link between those two, between the two factors. Um, as horrible as it is to have had to have something like that happen mm. for industry to be ready for a program like this at this scale, it's it's we cannot get away from the fact that the ripple effect of the events of last summer are still very much navigating themselves through the UK you know, as we speak. Um, we know the trial is going on now at the moment, mm. and it's still very much in conversation. And you see even, you know, even outside of 10,000 Black interns, off of the back of last summer's events, many statements were put out by, you know, leading firms, um, many um, kind of quotas and diversity metrics were set to kind of increase participation of underrepresented groups and in particular black people. And I think also just in terms of the way conversation is navigating, we have this whole argument about whether or not the use of the term BAME is still useful for us right now. And that is something that's very prevalent. That conversation is very prevalent right now. What we're doing as 10,000 black interns is we're very intentional about removing black from BAME and actually going deep, doing a deep dive into what the numbers in industry look like, which we would encourage every firm, every industry all over the place to do, right? Because fame is one thing, it clouds everybody together that isn't white and your figures may not look that bad when you use that that type of metric. But when you actually split that out into black and, you know, the the other ethnic minorities, you see that actually there's a a bigger problem here in need of addressing. So you're saying Um, with on that bit, so you you don't necessarily have a problem specifically with the term fame. It's just not useful because it groups everybody from underrepresented um, communities and groups together. 
And actually, it's much more useful for individual employers or industries at large, or just generally in society, to divide them up. And I think probably you're starting to touch on it, even within, even in, say, within people from black heritage, there's also different communities within that, that there's a disparity between them. I think one of the areas I think we mentioned before were people from um, Caribbean heritage, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And yeah, you, you raise a great point there because even when we split up black, you then realize that even within that categorization, there are still issues to be dealt with because black African, black Caribbean, there are, there are vast differences. And as you correctly say, black Caribbean boys in particular seem mm. to be um, a demographic in need of, of particular attention because we find, you know, in terms of academic performance, in terms of um, drop out, dropping out from the academic system and just in terms of trajectory in general, things seem to be happening, negative things seem to be happening at a much earlier stage for that particular group within, you know, this category of black. So, yeah. you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to now group that alongside with a number of other different ethnicities with unique problems. And I think the, the advantage of once once you name, once something has a label or people are aware of something, you can start to work on it, can't you? So Exactly. Um, exactly. Yes, yeah, so I think that's that's interesting because I think just more generally within the whole diversity space is that, first of all, for many years, and I think even now, lots of employers or anyone dealing in that diversity space, they would like to do something, they would like to help, but there's a a nervousness from some people because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to slip up or, but I think the more people talk about it and are able to understand um, the terms that, that they can use and um, yeah. how to talk about it, it makes more sense and people become more comfortable. And then you can talk about specifically, um, you know, it's okay. It would be okay. For example, let's say you wanted to do a program that specifically helped um, people are black boys from, Caribbean heritage, you mm -hmm. might say, ah, great, now you can develop that and talk about that as a particular issue because it's, yeah. it needs to be dealt with separately. And other people, and the support, I imagine, required for different groups is, is different for, for females or for um, people from social mobility. Like the different issues that each community faces. And once we yeah. talk about them, we can start to fix them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it, you also point towards the general nervousness around these kinds of conversations from, from, from different people. And I think it definitely doesn't help that we live in a kind of cancel culture that makes people feel like they can't say certain things or, um, you know, have certain conversations without the fear of, you know, being labeled in a particular way that definitely doesn't help the conversation, I think. But what I would encourage people to do is to have those bold conversations, you know, and ask, ask questions and, Educate yourself as well. Everybody educate yourself from every community and don't leave it on those who are necessarily going through a particular experience or navigating life in a particular way to be your teacher because that can also be very exhausting. You know, there's literature out there. There are many things out there that people can leverage on to kind of clue themselves up about different issues that people who may, who may not look like them or may not be attracted to the same gender as them um, may, may be facing as they, as they navigate the world. But I would definitely encourage for people to feel comfortable enough to ask the questions that they have, because if we don't have these open, honest, um, judgment-free discussions, then there's no way that we'll get to a point where, you know, the vast majority of us, I mean, we'll never get to the point where everybody understands, but, you know, where the vast majority of us are in a place where, okay, we identify this is a problem, 
This yeah. is why we have this problem. And these are the things that we can do to direct to directly address these issues. Yeah. Um, do you think that's something that um, you'll do as part of the program, which is to maybe provide some kind of educational piece as well to help people understand maybe the employers who are looking to take on the interns or maybe they're already educated? Do you think that might eventually be part of what you guys do or is that? Yeah, so we definitely have in the past and plan to in the future hold sessions with the participating firms um, advising on particular things. I think with the program, we really do value the simplicity of it in the sense that, you know, there's no contract, for example, for the firms to sign to participate. There's no prerequisite for them to um, donate towards the program. They can, you know, they can be a part of the program without a, a financial contribution. Um, but yeah, we... The reason I say that is because we're, we're making sure that we execute one thing at a time. We're making sure that what we have said we are going to do, we do and we do with high effect. And once that is done, you know, there are a number of ways that we could expand. You know, there are a number of things that we could then add to the services that we provide to society at large. Um, but yeah, absolutely. In terms of having those conversations with firms, that's something that we're, we're ready and willing and have done in the past. We've got loads of probably firms listening, uh, thinking about this, thinking, oh, I've not, neither heard of it or I've not heard of it. Mm. And you say it's fairly straightforward for them to actually uh, be part of it. So for those listening, how, how can they get involved in it? What, what's the main step for them? Yes. So a bit of good news and bad news for those who are yet to sign up. <laughs> I would say the bad news is for 2022 participation, we have met and exceeded our target of 2000 internships. However, the good part of that is that we still have a wait list open whereby firms who have not managed to sign up um, in time, the deadline for 2022 participation can still sign up to the program for 2022. We'll put you on a waiting list. And what we may do is run a reallocation process um, in, you know, for 10,000 black interns. So we'll have a number of applications, hopefully, from students. And of course, not everybody will receive an offer in a, in a first round. So we may run a second round and include the waitlist firms in that round as well. And of course, we're still open for 2023 participation. And, you know, we'll make it very clear when we've opened up the windows for that. But, you know, for firms wanting to be involved, please feel free to reach out to one of us in the team. We're more than happy to have a conversation and explain how you can still be involved in the program this year. Um, but yeah, definitely encourage firms to, to reach out. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Well, if, if they're listening, they, they certainly will be thinking about it differently now. Um, well, a question from my side was more about, you spoke a bit about allocation. Now, talk, talk us a bit through how that works. So students would uh, apply for the, for the program and then you would divvy them up for the companies that have suggested they're interested. Like, how, how does that allocation or process go? Yeah, so let's give you an indication of the scale of allocation. So we've currently, uh, we've partnered up with 750 firms across the UK. And together they are offering, of course, more than 2,000 internships for next year. So they are obviously split between 23 different sectors as it currently stands. And what we will do is give applicants the option to select three um, sectors of preference. And the, uh, we're building out an ATS system, an application tracking system from scratch with um, some developers at the moment. And they're helping us configure all of this because it's not necessarily the easiest of things to wrap one's head around in terms of how the allocation process will work. Um, but it's high on our agenda and on our kind of focus list at the moment. And what we will be doing is based on the, the preferences that the applicants have selected, they'll be allocated to at least one firm um, per sector. 
essentially. Okay. The other part of yeah. the program is also wanting to enhance the chances of each of the applicants. So you're not only going to be seen by one firm. Um, the idea is that each applicant is seen by at least three firms. Yeah, and these, how, how long do the internships last for as well? So they're a minimum of six weeks. They can be much longer oh, wow. than that. Um, you know, some firms are offering, you know, 10 weeks, um, months, all of the above. But the idea is that they're a minimum of six weeks in the summer and pay a minimum of the local living wage. But again, with the pay, what most firms seem to be doing is just proratering the salary of their junior hires um, for the duration of the internship. Right. They're pretty long internships. I mean, lots of internships, you know, one or two weeks. Do you think that maybe in the future it might be possible that firms who can't commit to longer programs might be welcome to do a shorter period, one or two weeks, or two week confirm? You don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, the idea of the duration is that it's something substantial, you know, right. that the that the intern can lean on in the future and leverage for for future opportunity. Um, there's nothing wrong with shorter term internships, but we just say at the very least let it be six weeks, such that moving forward out of this opportunity whether or not it translates into a full-time offer, they have a substantial amount of experience on their record that they can say, look, I spent X amount of time working on X thing or X function and I, I feel ready to kind of take on a full-time role in this type of thing if it's something that they decide that they, they want to pursue moving forward. Um, in terms of, there are some industries who typically don't offer experience in that, in that format. I think law being one of them, they have like spring weeks, for example, and I think they're yeah. usually two to three weeks. But again, we've got a number of law firms signed up and they've been ready and willing to carve out internship opportunities that match our eligibility criteria. So what we also see is certain sectors kind of moving towards offering longer term internships to students as a result of their participation in the program. Hmm. Yeah, Ollie's probably got some, I don't know, Ollie, have you got any data on how much better longer term internships are than short term ones? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I don't know whether they're better or not I think intern, inter, insights so we call uh, insights anything between one day and two weeks mm-hmm. they're usually rated the highest interesting um, yeah interesting because I think it's it's easier to put on a great show for two weeks <laughs> and uh, also you know, you're not actually doing a huge amount of like practical task work you know, you're being shown a great time uh, it's about the brand as much as anything so yeah the, 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 the ratings of uh employers do go down as the duration uh, lengthens, but the value that you're adding to students, the value that the students are adding to the employer increases dramatically with the yeah. duration as well. So it's, yeah, I know we're not saying there's huge swings there, but that's the trend we see. That's interesting. What, what are the questions behind that data? So for example, like what, what are the students being asked when they say, yeah, I'm rating this higher than, for example, I would a longer term internship? Is it, did you enjoy, like, is it standard questions or like what? What are they being asked? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, we do change different questions around. So um, a lot of them mix up whether it's uh, so how busy are you on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. There's questions on, are you really testing me there? I was thinking about all the review questions. We came up with them a while back. I'm just intrigued by that. That's good. We've actually got new review questions coming out. They have changed up quite a lot. And um, yeah. Well, I'll share them with you because the whole idea is to get a real feel for what it's like to work in that business, to understand what, as an intern, you're looking for when you're applying, and to get a real picture, a real reality of this often scary big company, big brand that I can never see myself working there. Mm. Well, actually, let's look at what students have said before, Mm. see the the experiences that they've had, um, 
and that she just makes it brings it to life a load more and you realize that actually when you look at what they do on a daily basis the office environment yeah. uh the sort of csr initiatives involved it, it breaks down that that scariness of when especially when you're usually a sort of an undergraduate maybe your first real job yeah. your first massive brand to work for and um, so yeah it really kind of helps bring it to life and you get a real feel for what the, the company's like which yeah. also helps you in your application because you're then there tailoring your application knowing a little bit what it's like to work there uh, and also you can self-select out if you think that really isn't for me uh, it means you don't have to submit an application and go through that process and find out too late as well exactly exactly I, I completely agree with that I think with the longer term internships it really does become a filter process for the interns which is super valuable because they have a substantial amount of time that they've spent with X firm and that's given them an indication as to whether or not this truly is something they want to do I mean if it's been a, a day shadowing or a couple of weeks they've probably you know taken you for drinks and you know done all of the above every evening and it's not really a true representation of, of yeah. what the industry is going to be like and I think that's why or it could be one of the reasons why we see um, you know lack of, a lack of retention in some industries at the graduate higher level because most people have done internships in well I'm saying most I don't have the, the, the stats about that statement but a lot of people do internships before going into industry. Um, and you find that there are indi- some industries in particular that, you know, they really struggle to retain people for more than two years. Hmm. Um, it's probably multi- it's probably multiple factors, but I'm sure that is yeah. one of them. Like, Definitely yeah, multiple factors. Yeah. I think that's one of them. So um, it might be time for the special question, Ollie. Um, yes, yeah. special S- question. S- <laughs> we should get a jingle for that bit, actually, Ollie. Uh, that's a really good point. Maybe we could drop it. This is actually our 50th uh, podcast as well, ah, which we didn't yeah. even touch on at the start. Half century. Uh, the half century is up. Um, so yeah, Esther, very, we've joined us on a, a very special occasion, which we completely <laughs> forgot at the start, which we'll obviously talk a bit about, about uh, at the end, maybe. Um, but yeah, Jack, go on, give the special question on the special 50th pod. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you? I think the one thing that I would love to also touch on with regards to 10,000 Black interns in the program mm-hmm. is just how intentional we are trying to be about making it holistic. Because if I look at, you know, conversations that I had kind of post being in industry, being at uni, all of the above with my peers, mm-hmm. one of the things that as a program we're also quite aware of is we do not want to just be this machine that is, you know, plugging black students into industry, it needs to be much more holistic than that because we know that it's a very nuanced thing and a very nuanced problem, should I say, to be to be dealing with. And one of the, the aspects of our program is a very comprehensive training program, like a pre-internship training program that we put all of our interns through as well. And I'd love to do a couple of shout outs if I can. Um, but sure. yeah, good. so with 100 black interns, for example, that was purely focused in investment management at its inception. And, you know, we had some fantastic companies partner up with us, Financial Edge being one of them. Big shout out to Financial Edge, big shout out to Templar as well, um, who partnered up with us on the training program and, you know, are assisting us in putting all of our interns through 10 weeks solid um, pre-internship training that kind of covers the technical hard skills required for success in investment management and finance professions, as well as internally, every Tuesday, every Thursday, we host 45-minute webinars available to all of our interns and other students. You know, it's accessible through our website. 
where we deal with things like confidence, dealing with imposter syndrome, stakeholder management, you know, the kind of common denominators required for success anywhere you are yeah. in life. Um, and that's something that we, we of course, um, are incorporating with 10,000 black interns as well, but obviously on a much larger scale. Um, but yeah, we're very, very focused on making sure that not only are we providing opportunity for black students in industry, but we're preparing them for it too. So it's really it's a 16-week program. So it's a 10-week preparation course followed by six weeks working within the firm. Is it a prerequisite that you must complete all 10 weeks to go on it? Or it, can you just dip in and out to the sessions that are relevant to you? How does that part work? Yeah, so it's, it's we, we have two structures. So with, for example, our training with Financial Edge, every single one of our um, interns have a portal that they log into and there's a set curriculum there that they work through on their own timing. And then with regards to the webinars that we host, they are live and recorded. We have hundreds of students join each session every Thursday and every Tuesday mm -hmm. for 45 minutes. And yeah, we're able to see who does and doesn't join. But again, that doesn't preclude anybody from, from the internship opportunity. Right. They're all recorded. And we have a number of interns who actually catch up as well at other times because people are studying, doing other things. But, but yeah, that's the structure that we have so far with 100 black interns. Yeah, brilliant. Sounds, sounds fabulous. Yeah, it's a, it's a really wonderful initiative. Um, yeah, just well done for uh, well having the idea in the first place, but also just seeing the traction you're, you're getting. I think you said that 750 companies uh, already involved in a year. I think that's just such a phenomenal um, record just to have so, so much engagement and interest from those employers. Firstly, not only recognizing that they have a problem um, of underrepresentation and actually doing something about it, and it's so wonderful seeing them getting really behind uh, your initiative and your project uh, and just making making a real commitment to, to changing the lives of black students across the UK. Um, so, yeah, a massive congrats and a huge well done. No, thank you. And just big kudos to our founders as well. We've got Jonathan, Dawid, Wal, Michael, um, and our trustees as well, Faye and Stuart. And, you know, check them out on our website. Um, great people. And, of course, we def I definitely owe you know, the existence of this, of this initiative to them. It was, it was their thought baby, right? And they executed on it. And here I am helping fulfill the execution as well. So exciting times, definitely a lot of work to yeah. do. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I've not heard the term thought baby as well before. So that's a real <laughs> new one for me. Now you have. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. Well, I think that's, that's us then. So Esther, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, on this special 50th um, yeah, podcast. thanks very much. I'm so honoured. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very pleased that I got to be the 50th, 50th guest. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie. And that is the Early Careers Podcast. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Hello, Oliver Sidwell and the Jack and Ollie Show. Tremendous celebrations. The Early Careers Podcast celebrates its 50th podcast this week. Many, many, many congratulations. What a great performance and what a terrific milestone to have reached. How tremendous. Now, I know you share the latest trends, innovations and insights into early careers recruitment. It's wonderful stuff. And you want a quick a really quick one to celebrate this. Well, here we are. Well done, you chaps. The Jack and Ollie show forever. Am um, I darrow things? <laughs>